verse 1, Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother in Hittite. And as for thy nativity in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, notice the situation here, here, the little baby is born, and uh, instead of receiving all the natural things of childbirth, the little baby is thrown out beside the road uh, without any concern. And here's the Lord. When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live, yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. That's what Jesus done for us. I want to speak to you tonight on really living. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're real tonight. Thank you for the privilege just to know you and serve you. Oh God, I pray you'd bless our time together. Encourage us and help us through the word of God. I pray you minister the need of every heart here tonight. Lord, do a work of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Really living. Well, the world has a perverted view of what life is all about and what really living is. I, I read a story about this, uh, this fellow who was buried in a Cadillac. Someone looked and said, man, what a way to go. Well, uh, that didn't do him any good, did it? And uh, we know we live in a, a humanistic society. Our educational system is humanistic from start to finish, and, and uh, that life is, uh, is uh, made up of what a person possesses. Uh, you know, it's the exact opposite of Luke chapter 12, when the Lord said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And yet, uh, that is uh, the attitude that society takes as a general rule. Nothing wrong with having things provided that's not what you live for, that that's not your goal in life and the motivation of life. See, that's where it becomes wrong. And, uh, you know, we ought to take some advice from Solomon there. Solomon had it all. Ecclesiastes 2, he writes about it. He writes about all his wealth and all the pleasure that he enjoyed and all the wives that he had and the power and the prestige and and all these things that drive people. You know, it's kind of like uh, politicians. Uh, uh, a great uh, many of politicians are wealthy. And uh, you say, what motivates them? They spend millions on a campaign to get elected for, uh, you know, a, a $100,000 job or ever how much they get now. And uh, what is it that motivates them? Well, it's that pride of life, that, that power, that place of, of, of honor and prestige that drives people and uh, that this is what life is all about. No, Jesus said that's not what life 
is all about. Solomon had all that. And he concludes and said it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. He said if you live your life for those things, you've wasted your life. And life really has no meaning. Well, Abraham realized this. One day God called him there in Ur of the Chaldees and said, Abraham, I want you to get away from here. I want you to get away from your kinfolk. I want you to get away from your people and the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the place that you're living in and the comforts of this place and all that. And I want you to go to a place that I am going to send you. Now that required faith. And it required faith because God didn't tell him where he was going to send him. Abraham, the Bible doesn't say that Abraham questioned the Lord, but maybe in his mind he wondered, well, wonder where God wants me to go. And, uh, you know, God just wants us to be obedient. God wants our heart. God wants us to be willing. And he's got to get that first. And some people never find the will of God for their life because they never become willing. They never come to that place of surrender. That, Lord, whatever you have of my life, I'm, I'm willing. I give myself to you. And uh, that was the case in my life. I never knew the will of God until I made a total surrender to God until I became willing for God to take my life and do whatever He chose to do with it. And then God began to deal with me specifically about the place that God wanted me to serve. And so that's the way it is. And Abraham there, uh, he uh, uh, left his country, and he spent the rest of his life as a nomad. He spent his life living in a tent. Now, Abraham was a wealthy man. He didn't have to live in a tent. And yet he chose this life. The Bible said he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. You know what he did? He got his eyes on heaven and nothing in this world ever satisfied him. And he got his eyes off of the world. That's what happened. Off of things. He quit living for things and started living for God. Then Moses, there another example in the Bible. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, the Bible said he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He had it all. He had Egypt. He had all the power and all the money and all the pleasure and all that Egypt had to offer. And he gave it all up to follow the Lord and, and spend his time in a desert there, 40 years uh, there uh, away from Egypt and then going back and getting Israel and spending 40 more years in the desert area. And so the last 80 years of his life, was spent there or in, in, uh, in the desert. Uh, he made that choice, and uh, he understood what life was all about. Then I think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Here's a Pharisee. Here's a man that, uh, that has risen to the highest level in the religious world. And uh, yet he came to realize he was a lost sinner. You know, there's people that will sit on a pew and go to hell because they're ashamed to admit they're a sinner before God. You can imagine what his name then was Saul of Tarsus. You can imagine what he was faced with and that decision to follow the Lord Jesus because he had been preaching that Christ was an imposter, that he was false, and he was unreal. He was persecuting the believers and persecuting the church. And yet he gave up on that and turned to the Christ that he despised and hated and preached against. He made that choice for Christ. 
Well, you could say about Paul, he has really uh, risen to, uh, to the heights of, uh, in the religious world. Now he's, he has nothing. He's uh, joined the people that he, uh, uh, he one time preached against. I, I was reading a little article in the Maranatha paper before I came to church, and, and it was talking about this, uh, this preacher and uh, uh, who was rising he, in the Southern Baptist Convention and, and uh, he saw the apostasy uh, in it and, and uh, uh, the seminary that he had attended uh, had, uh, had uh, invited a man to speak who was uh, an infidel really and uh, he made his choice. He said, I cannot support that. I cannot go along with that. That violates the convictions that I have from the Word of God. And uh, he was uh, encouraged uh, uh, by the head of the seminary not to do this. He said, if you do that, you'll be consigned to the little churches and you'll never rise in the ranks. Well, he said, I made my choice. And uh, he said, that happens many times. But he made a choice to be to stand for right and stand for truth, even though it may have cost him in prestige and so forth. He made his decision, and uh, those are the decisions that we have to make. Really living? How do you really live? How? What's life all about? Well, first of all, there has to be a resurrection from death unto life, and we have that beautifully illustrated here by the prophet of God Ezekiel here as he pictures this little baby dying beside of the road. And he said, I passed by thee, and I saw you there. And uh, you know what the, the picture the Bible gives of, of the lost sinner is, uh, is a condition of death. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And what man needs is a resurrection. And here's this little baby polluted and dying, helpless and hopeless, and the Lord said, I came by, and I said to you, live. And I want to say when Jesus says live, uh, you know, you live. Uh, just like when he called Lazarus out of the grave. Uh, when he says live, uh, that's what happens. There's a resurrection. It's wonderful to illustrate also in Luke 10 in the story of the Good Samaritan that the priest could not help and the Levite could not help, but Jesus came by and gave help and, and medicine uh, to the dying man that had fallen among thieves. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection of the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. As he is raising Lazarus there from the dead. But I want to say that can be applicable to spiritual life as well. We're all dead in trespasses and sins, but thank God there's life in Christ. And uh, he said, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 6, verse 63 said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. How is this accomplished? By the Word of God. There's life in the Word of God. That's, that's where the life is. And, uh, you know, I've got a message I'm going to preach. I thought about preaching this morning, and the Lord burdened me with this other message. But uh, uh, that, uh, uh, where is the life? Where's the life at? The life is in the Word of God. If Jesus Christ showed up in person, the life that He would give would be through His words. You know, that just really struck home. I'd never, I'd never really realized that to the extent. 
Back in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, uh, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep. Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. It's the Word of God that, that's done the job all the time. Uh, from the very beginning, it's God's Word. You know, you can't make too much of the Word of God. You can't brag on it too much. You can't exalt it enough. There's where the power is. And he said, the words that I speak in you, they're spirit and they're alive. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives life to the written Word of God. Uh, you know, this is uh, paper and ink and leather and so forth. Uh, but the Holy Ghost of God makes it alive, makes it live. And so... Uh, there has to be a resurrection. And until a person is resurrected spiritually, they don't, really, they don't really live. They may think they're living. Isn't it amazing that a person can go out and get drunk and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, hurt their body by drinking, drinking that rotten stuff and, and uh, wake up with a, uh, you know, a splitting headache and a hangover and, and they'll guzzle that beer and, and I used to have an uncle, you know, and he'd drink, drink heavily, and, and uh, he'd drink that old white liquor, and, and uh, you could hear the bones, you know. He'd, uh, uh, it was so bad that, uh, that uh, uh, he'd have to follow it with a Coke or something, you know. Uh, they call it chasing it, I think, something like that. And uh, uh, he couldn't, uh, he, you know, his bones would crack in his, you know, he gritted his teeth, I guess, and and uh, he couldn't hardly say a word for a few seconds there, and he'd smack his lip and say, boy, that's good. Isn't people strange? I mean, people are strange. And they're wallowing around in the filth of the vomit, and, and uh, oh, boy, this is really living. This is really living. They don't know what living's all about. And sometimes God's people, you know, they, they make Christianity out to be something to be dreaded and something, you know, that you can't enjoy. And, and uh, if anybody in the world ought to enjoy the Lord, it ought to be us. It ought to enjoy life. It ought to be the people of God. I'll tell you, this is really living. That's not living. And uh, the devil has given people a lie. It's amazing how the mind is messed up. There has to be a resurrection. There has to be the Lord in one's life before they really live. Then not only that, why don't you turn to Colossians 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. Page 1264. Help you find a little faster there. Colossians 3, 1. If you then be risen with Christ, you've got to be risen first. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. How do you really live? Be heavenly minded. Get resurrected. Get born again, and then set your affection, the Bible says, on things above. And then when things fall apart in this world, you won't fall apart because uh, you've got your mind on better things. The problem is we live too much for the, uh, you know, the nasty now now, don't we? And we don't live for the eternity that God has for us. No matter how bad it gets, 
if we'll keep our eyes on the other world, it'll be a blessing to us. The Bible said, Philippians 3.20, our conversation is in heaven. Hebrews 11.16, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Live for the world to come. Set your affection on things above and live like it. Sometimes we talk about heaven, but we don't live much like we're going. And yet that's our eternal home. And uh, I realize we're going to live on the earth, but God's going to bring heaven down with us, you know. And that glorious new Jerusalem, we enter that eternal new earth. It's going to be glorious beyond description. And we have that hope. And so, uh, really living. What if you didn't have that tonight? I don't see how people enjoy life. Not knowing when they die, they're going to heaven. If I didn't know I'd saved tonight and didn't know I was going to heaven, it would ruin the life now. How could I enjoy this day? You know how people do it? They, their, mind, their, their mind is blinded by the devil and they don't think about it. I don't see how a person could think about going to hell and ever enjoy life. When I got in conviction, I wasn't enjoying life. All I was concerned about, I didn't want to die before I could get saved. I need to get saved. But when you get saved, that takes the fear away. And it's, it puts your affections, it puts life in a different prospect. You know what could really be discouraging? Uh, you know, I've been alive 50 years now, and it's got worse all the time. I've, uh, I've, a lot of people's tried to change things, but nobody's succeeded. And instead of getting better, it's gotten worse all along. And it's going to continue to get worse. And uh, the Bible said that would happen. Second Peter there. And if we didn't have a better place to go, if we didn't have heaven look forward to it, it'd be discouraging. And we'd want to quit. You want to really enjoy life? Be heavenly minded. Then thirdly, live by faith. Live by faith. What is living by faith? Living by faith is living by what God said. Disbelieve in God and living accordingly. Now four places in the Bible, Rebecca 2.4, Romans 1.17, and uh, Hebrews uh, 10.38. Uh, three places there it says, Now the just shall live by faith. Now that's not talking about, I used to think that was talking about the way we live. But he's not talking about that. And, and you know, it can uh, be applicable to that. But the just shall live by faith is, uh, that's how you get just. That's how a person is, uh, is, is born into the family of God. And then once that happens, we're to, we're to live by faith. Galatians 2.20 said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yeah, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so uh, it's, it's a life of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, he gives the great roll call of faith. And it starts with, uh, uh, with Abel there. Uh, you know, Abel was a man of faith. And Enoch was a man of faith who got out of here without dying. Only two people has ever done that. And that was Enoch and Elijah that got out without dying. And uh, 
uh, it comes on down to Noah, a man of faith, lived by faith, believed God, and Abraham, a man of faith, and Isaac, and Jacob, and right on down the line, all those were people of faith. And then he concludes with a list there of others uh, that he does not describe in detail. And Daniel and all those people uh, who, uh, you know, uh, stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of the, of, of, the, of the fire and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all those were people of faith. And you know the amazing thing is you read that list. You know not all those people were perfect. In fact, none of them was perfect as far as that goes. They all had their failures. And some, we read about some, uh, some terrible failures. But you know the thing God honored was their faith. And God wants us to live by faith, to trust God and believe God. And you know, if, if we believe something, we live by it. Uh, if, we, if we believe the Bible, you know we're going li to live by it. People say, well, I, uh, you know, it's just like, if I hollered fire, get out of here, this building's on fire. Uh, you smell the smoke, and, and uh, you'd say, man, that, that, yeah, we need to get out of here. That's, that's real. Uh, but the fact is that a lot of times we don't believe what we say we believe. What you believe, it affects your actions, according to the Bible. James talks about it. We're to live by faith. And then we're to walk after the Spirit. First Peter 4, 6, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. I don't mean he preached them after they were dead, but they were preached to before in the days of Noah, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 13, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live, walk out to the Spirit. What does that mean? That means we allow God to, to direct our life. I heard a preacher talking about this one time, and he said uh, every day he got up and he went to, the, to his office in his church. And he said there was different routes he could take. He could go these, this way to his office, and he, he could take a different direction and arrive at the office four or five ways he could take and get to his office. And there uh, uh, wasn't a whole lot of difference in the mileage. And he said, every morning when I start to my office, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, which route do you want me to take today? And he said, that's the way I go. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And the fact is that very few Christians really understand that and really consult God about anything except when a tragedy maybe rises in their life, then they began to talk to the Lord. But most, even most Christian people, they make decisions without ever asking God anything about it. Is that the way God wants us to live? No wonder we have many of the problems that we have in life. Walk after the Spirit. He says, if you live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. If God's good enough to forgive us and save us, He's good enough to direct our life. And God wants to be involved. And I've said this before and I repeat it again tonight that God wants to be involved in the details of our life. God's very much interested. Uh, you know, sometimes people go to the Lord apologetically and, and as if they're bothering God. I've had, heard people pray like that. Lord, I know you're busy and I hate to bother you. 
Who do they think God is? What kind of God do they serve? Listen, he's never too busy. He's, uh, maybe I should rephrase that. He's always busy, but he's never too busy for you. He's great enough. He's powerful enough to hear every prayer. If there's 10 billion going up at the same time, he can hear them all, and he can handle them all. Uh, you can't overload God's telephone circuitry. I'll tell you, he's able and the Bible said he numbers the hairs of our head. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You know how many steps you've taken in life? If you ask God, he could tell you the exact number. From the time you started uh, stumbling along trying to learn to walk until right now. He knows how many hair I used to have and how few I've got now. He understands all that. He knows all about us. And that tells me that God wants to be involved in our life and the details of our life he's interested in. And, uh, you know, I enjoy the kids. And one reason I enjoy them is because uh, they're for real. Especially when they're, when they're little, you know, the, the real small ones. I mean, they hadn't learned all the religious jargon, and they're just as honest as they can be. Uh, another thing, boy, they can tell you the way it really is at home. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, they'll ask you to pray for their dog and pray for their cat, and, and uh, you know, if they got a little scratch, they want you to pray for that. And, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, we've had that happen in school, and sometimes the older students, they kind of snigger a little bit about it, you know. But I'll tell you, God's interested. God's interested in that little scratch, or God's interested in that dog that's sick, or, or, or whatever. God's very much interested in those little things. And it'd do us a lot of good as adults if we realize how interested God is in our life. It's He that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Listen, we belong to him. We're here by God's permission. He, and he compares us to sheep. And sheep are unusual in the fact that sheep must have a shepherd. Sheep are totally helpless without the shepherd. And wouldn't to God we can realize that tonight, that without him, he says, without me and John there, you can do nothing. And the fact is that we don't even admit that most of the time. Lord, I can handle it. That's their basic, that's the basic problem of man from, uh, that's the basic sin problem. I can handle it myself. I don't need, I don't need your help, God. This, if I need you, I'll let you know. I, I can handle this situation. That's the way we are. And we may not say that in so many words, but that's about the way we live. And the fact is that we can't do it. We can't handle it. And there comes a time in everybody's life when God, sometimes God allows a crisis in our life, I think, to prove to us that we can't handle it on our own, that we need divine help. That happens in everybody's life. I don't care how hard a man is, how much he may put on a big show and make out like he's something and he can do it himself and he don't need anybody. Every man, every woman, every person is brought to the place that they realize they've got to have divine intervention or there's no hope.
walk after the Spirit. That's how we really live. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said to Israel, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. What a choice. And man is the one that has to make the choice. God said, I have, I have given you a choice between life and death. Blessing and cursing. Now it's up to you to make the choice. We know the choices they made, don't we? And the cost that they had, have had to pay. Ezekiel 33, 11 said, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And I can just see God pleading through his prophet to his nation and how they broke the heart of God by their wickedness and their wayward ways and the Lord begging and pleading and saying, why will you die? God said, I don't want to put you in hell. I don't want to bring judgment upon you. And I think as believers tonight, you know, Corinthians there said we would judge ourselves. We should not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the wicked. And in those verses, I can in my mind picture God begging and pleading and say, deal with that sin in your life. Won't please deal with it so I don't have to chastise you. I don't want to do it. Please deal with it. And yet man many times is persistent and hardens his heart and says no to God. And that's what happened to Israel as the Lord begged them and pled with them to get right with God and they wouldn't do it. And God had to judge them. And Isaiah 55, 3, Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. God is the only one that has real life. You know, I've never met a Christian in all these years, someone that lived in sin and come to Jesus for salvation. I've yet to meet my first one that didn't say it was better. It's better than what I had. It's better than the old life. Better than the old way. All the world makes them try to think, oh, if you get saved, you'll have to give this up and give that up, and you won't really live. You'll miss that's the, the lie of the devil, especially for young people. You, you, you know, you're going to miss out, and you won't really live. If you, if you become a Christian, you won't, you'll miss out on something. Well, the fact of the matter is, if they don't become a Christian, that's, where they're, that's what they're really going to miss out on. And the things that a person misses out on as unbelievers, it isn't worth having anyway. Really living. I'm glad God taught me what life is all about. I don't know how much longer God has for me in this old world. If God took me home tonight, I can say I know what really living is all about. I know what it is to really live. And the best part about it... <laughs> Not too far in the future, I'm going to really know what living's all about. We have a great future. Let's bow our heads, please.